I'm Chris, and this is my Writing Table Podcast, where we talk to authors and other creatives about the writing world and what it takes to create the books that we love to read. Ready? Pull up a chair, and let's begin. Originally from the Boston area, Elizabeth Schick has spent the last several years living as an expat in various corners of the world, currently in Bangladesh. She holds a Master of Fine Arts from Lesley University and a Master of International Affairs from Columbia University. And today she's here to talk about her book, The Golden Land. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you for having me. The first line of your book, The Golden Land, brings the reader into the story so beautifully. You used texture, color, and smell. And I'm going to read this. A thumb of ginger lies on the cutting board alongside several cloves of garlic and a pile of small red shallots. That one sentence, you know, maybe it's the Italian in me, that sensory, the garlic and the ginger and the red shallots brings the reader in so quickly. Thank you. Before we get into the novel, I'm curious how living in Myanmar inspired your writing? Yeah, that's a good question. So I've lived abroad for many, many years, like 27 or more. I kind of lost count, to be honest. (laughs) Um, I move every two to six years to a new country. So it's been eight different countries. What I like to do when I move to a new country is to try to learn as much as I can about that new place. So the history, the culture, I always take language lessons. I never become fluent. <laughs> I want to get an ear for the language. And then I just talk to as many people as I can about the place to try to learn about my host country. So I did that when I got to Myanmar and it was just such a fascinating time to be in Myanmar because the country had been under military dictatorship for 50 years and just opened up in like 2010, 2011. We moved there in 2013. So, you know, it was a really interesting time and I just had so many questions and I write when I have questions, questions I want to explore. So there were several questions that arose because of that time and place. One of the questions that really fascinated me was what it means to live under a military dictatorship and how you adjust your life when maybe your neighbor is part of the military or somebody in your Mm -hmm. family or your vegetable seller or like they were everywhere, right? And so I was just fascinated by that. I think it's hard for us as Americans to imagine what that must be like, but you know, life goes on. You have to keep living. You, your kids are going to keep needing to be fed and go to school and all the same things. But I just wanted to understand how that might've been different to have that layer of the military kind of Mm -hmm. the shadow of the military really hovering over everything. So that was one thing I was interested in. And then another theme was this idea of returning to a place that you knew in your childhood, but you, for whatever reason, haven't been there since. So for me, like setting is so important in my own memories because each part of my life I've lived in a different place. And so when I think about, you know, when my kids were born or when they were teenagers, those are two different like continents, actually, you know, so I think I was really interested in what it must be like for these people, people like the main character, Etta, who are coming back after having been away for 23 years, I think it is. 
and what that must feel like, because you've got your memories and your memories are associated with that time and place. And then you go back because you have not been able to go back for decades and you finally go back, you know? So I guess those two ideas were really, I couldn't get them out of my head. And then I'd also read some other really great novels about Myanmar that also inspired me. So there was one called The Glass Palace by Mm -hmm. an Indian writer, Amitav Ghosh. In that novel, it's very much about the family of the last king and queen of Burma. And that just fascinated me. So they ended up in the book. (laughs) I was so interested in this story. You know, they were the last king and queen. They were exiled by the British and forced to live in India. He fictionalizes, but like what happens to their family? They still have a relatively nice house, but you know, they go from a palace to just Mm -hmm. maybe having like one maid or something like that. So (laughs) again, that was something that fascinated me. There was another book called The Lizard Cage by Karen Connolly, who is a Canadian writer. And her novel is really amazing. It's all set in insane prison, which is outside of Yangon in Myanmar, Mm. where all the political prisoners were sent in around the same time that mine is partially set, 1988. So it's told from the perspective of he's not just a prisoner, he's in solitary confinement. It's an amazing novel. So, So there were just, yeah, all these ideas I needed to know more about. When I want to know about something, I write. So tell us about the Golden Land. So the Golden Land is about an American woman named Etta, and she's living in Boston where she grew up. She was raised mainly by her Burmese grandmother, who she calls Apwa. And as the novel opens, her grandmother has just died. So she's sorting through her grandmother's belongings. And as she sorts through, she also is faced with a flood of memories from her childhood. She's doing this in 2011. That's when her grandmother dies. But many of the memories revolve around a 1988 trip to Burma. Some of those memories are are actually quite happy and pleasant memories for Etta because they revolve around a boy (laughs) who she was really infatuated with and had a strong connection to. But other memories are very traumatic because 1988 was a very tumultuous time in Burmese history much like today, very sadly, the military is back in control today and cracking down on pro-democracy, pro-peace protesters. So as a result, she witnessed some very traumatic events. So she's trying to deal with all these memories. And meanwhile, her younger sister, who's seven years younger than her, so has a different set of memories. She was only six at the time, so didn't see the same things that Etta saw. She decides quite impulsively and against Etta's wishes to take the grandmother's ashes back to modern day Myanmar, which has just opened up. So Etta then has to decide what to do. Should she stay in Boston with her very comfortable life, her fiance, who's madly in love with her, her promising career in labor law, or should she go back, follow Parker, her sister, back to Myanmar and confront her demons, basically. The novel is written in alternating timelines, which Mm -hmm. also change place. So in the first part, it's 2011 in Boston, 1988 in Burma. And then in the second part, it switches to 2011 in Myanmar. And because the name has changed since then to Myanmar and 1988 in Boston. So it sort of does this swap. 
When did you start writing this book? I started writing it in 2014. So a year after I moved there and I finished the first kind of, I won't call it first draft because it was many drafts, but a completed bunch of paper (laughs) in 2016. So it took me three years, but that was lots of back and forth. I, I, you know, I never wrote in the summertime because I couldn't concentrate when my kids were out of school and lots of traveling in between and everything. Then I decided to go back and get my MFA in 2017. Oh, wow. So I took this novel through the MFA for another two and a half years. And yeah. Beat so it, the it, hell out it, of it. it. Yeah. Beat the, <laughs> exactly. I'm thinking when you take a novel like this into your MFA program, your instructors have to be going yay and whoa. Right. The subject matter, the research, the organization of it, it's, it's a hefty book. I mean, as far as the work that went into it. Yeah, I did put a lot of work into it. So the first draft, though, was not in the structure that it is now, because what happened was I just sat down to write. I don't usually do any kind of outlining or anything like that. So I had no plan. I just sat down. (laughs) But I I started with the, the 2011 narrative. But I think there was like some avoidance happening because every time it would get hard, I would go into a flashback. And so by the time I got to the end, like that manuscript was so messy. It was just flashbacks everywhere. They weren't in order. They weren't just 1988. They were actually, some of them were like 1945 when the grandmother had left Burma, like she met an American soldier, left Burma and moved to the U.S. So that was all in there. There was even some stuff from earlier when she was a child, So it was like really, really a hot mess. There was one thing about it being all messy. And that is unfortunately the way my brain works is that I jump around a lot. The problem was that the present narrative was that was the one I was avoiding and it showed. So that was the feedback I was getting is that all this past stuff in the past is great, but it's really robbing the momentum from that. There's something you're avoiding there. And so sure enough, when I made the decision to separate them and put everything in order, you know, I saw some pretty big holes in the present narrative, which I had to go back and really deepen. No more avoidance. (laughs) So it was this is your first novel, right? It's the second novel I've written, but it's the first to be published. The first one was all chronological. I mean, (laughs) I don't know what came over me. This was some, yeah. What brings you to all these places? Yeah. So originally it was my own career, which was in international development. So I was working for like a non-governmental organizations like CARE and also UN organizations. Then I met my husband like on my third country. So we met in Angola in Southwest Africa. And after I met him, then we started moving together. So at a certain point, then I had kids. I, you know, I cut down on my work, which was actually when I started writing. Basically, now we just follow his career. So I was living full-time in Myanmar from 2013 to 2019, but I would come to the U.S. mainly for the summer. My kids were in school in Myanmar. You know, they went to an international school. Okay. So we were there all the time, except summer months, we would come here. What you were seeing with the pro-democracy groups in Myanmar... Mm -hmm. And what's happened in our country in the last five years with January 6th. Yes. Do you see similarities there? Well, 
So it's actually very interesting because this latest coup in Myanmar, so basically they had about 10 years of democratic transition and Mm -hmm. everything was opening up. Everything was looking very good. I mean, there were still problems for sure, but it was like on the road to becoming a democratic country. And that was the period we were there. Then they had the first democratic elections in 2015 while we were there. And that was amazing. It was so exciting because everybody was just so thrilled. Then we left 2019 in 2020, November 2020, they had their next set of elections. So very similar to the U.S., right? Mm -hmm. And then the party associated with the military lost big like really big. I mean, I don't think they got more than 10 or 12% of the vote. And and just to pause you, when you say military, you're talking about the anti-democracy group. It's not like in the United States where the military, we assume would be pro-democracy. I mean, the military had been running the country for 50 years and they were anti-democracy. So in 2020, they had the election. The military group lost the election You know, it's similar to the U.S. because also we had elections in 2020. So the sitting government, which was the military government, they claimed fraud, although they only had 10 percent of the. Oh, my gosh. You know, I don't even know how they could argue that, because even if there was 10 percent fraud, like they still lost. Yeah. So much like January 6th here. And I and I I actually think probably that it might've played into it. You know, they were probably watching what was happening in the U S rumors started. I'm told in January, we weren't there anymore, but I heard that there were rumors that the military was thinking about doing something. And then it was the day that the new parliament was supposed to take up their positions. They were going to be sworn in on February 1st. And just before that they came in and arrested everybody. Oh my gosh. So there's the difference is that that happened, you know, but that's mm-hmm. what's so scary, right? Is they um, uh, they are the military. Yeah, we came kind of close to that, you know, I mean, but mm. we do have institutions which are hundreds of years old. And, you know, this was like a pretty new country since the military had been in rule for so long. I think that's also what was different. But I do believe like in the U.S. that the institutions are what saved us. Wow. That's my opinion. That's- all this living abroad, you have kids, you're changing locations every few years. Kids get used to what they like to eat. How does that work when you move to another country? Yeah, it can be tough. Definitely. <laughs> um, you know, there are usually certain foods we will bring in our suitcase, you know, like American chocolate chips and vanilla extract, for example, you know, those are things you usually can't find in other places, but obviously you can't bring everything. So we just do the best we can. We've lived in Italy also for a long time. So pasta is usually something you could get countries. When we lived in Myanmar, actually the supermarkets had a wide variety of goods because they, again, just this time period where it was opening up and there were a lot of other expats living there. So they had like a really big international section. Yeah. So you could actually get quite a lot. Where I am now in Bangladesh, I find it a little bit more difficult. There's no tourism in Bangladesh. And so it's harder to find a lot of items, actually. How big of a suitcase are you bringing back when you go back to Bangladesh? Actually, I'm bringing back a suitcase full of books. Very complicated, the whole foreign rights and all that stuff. I mean, the Golden Land is published only in the U.S. right now. But, you know, I'm meeting people and 
saying I've written this novel, so everybody wants to read it over there. And it is a neighboring country of Myanmar, so they're really interested. So I'm I'm bringing back books is what I'm bringing back. But my kids are not with us anymore. They're in college here in the U.S. How did you feel when you learned the Golden Land won the Association of Writers and Writing Programs Novel Prize? That's huge. Yeah, I was amazed. Actually, really in disbelief in the beginning. It was funny because... I missed the call. So I saw a voicemail and she just said, you know, this is Supriya, I forget her last name from AWP. Can you call me back? And just that week, I think I had changed my address or something with the AWP. So I just assumed it was about that. (laughs) I called her back thinking that, you know, she just wanted to check the zip code or something on my address. And then she said, you won. And I was just uh, just actually speechless. And then I got really confused. And she said, do you accept? And I was like, do I accept? Like, wait, but why would I not accept? And then <laughs> I, I actually had a panic moment. I was really, really shocked because, um, I mean, I'd forgotten about it. You know, I mean, I applied, I think it was February and I heard in July, it wasn't on my radar that they were going to be making that announcement at that time. So it was really exciting and and terrifying, to be honest. I mean, I I felt very unprepared as well as, you know, because I knew nothing about publishing. I mean, that was a steep, yeah. steep learning curve. You know, I just didn't know how any of it worked. I found it very hard, the long, long periods of not hearing anything. I don't know if you experienced that too. Yes. And the yes. thing is, I didn't know if it was normal. And I didn't have an agent or anybody to ask because I'd kind of come in through this back door, right? Mm-hmm. Of the contest. So I kept calling some of my mentors from Leslie University, where I'd done my MFA to ask really simple questions. Seems like there's yeah. so many nuances that are just constantly changing in publishing. And you yeah, know, when your publisher I, goes on strike or things can change at a yeah, drop of a hat. I, I actually just got an email yesterday that the publisher is closing its doors. And I have no no. idea what that means. I literally just found out. So of course I wrote back and said, I have some questions. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, Yeah. So it's Uh. very, um, very strange. And I had in my head this vision of, you know, becoming best friends with my editor and having these like long conversations about the book. It wasn't anything like that. It's like, here here are your changes. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, with nothing else. That was hard for me. Probably get your rights back and there'll be another publisher that wants to pick it up. And especially with your accolades, that's that's a big deal. I hope so. Yeah, I I don't know. We'll see what happens. How do you plan out your writing days? That's a really good question. That used to be a lot easier. So when my kids were in school, you know, I would write in the mornings. Like that was... It was the only time. So that's when I did that. But now that we're empty nesters, I'm a little all over the place. I actually am kind of struggling with how to organize my day and when to do writing. I find it hard if I know I have some tasks I have to do Mm -hmm. to focus on the writing. So it's kind of a struggle right now, to be honest. I'm still figuring it out. I'm an empty nester too. I know that when you know you can only have this much time, you use it. But when you have this much time, Exactly. You don't know what to do with all of it. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm trying different times of day to see what works better and we'll see. (laughs) Have you read anything interesting lately? So I just finished reading a trilogy of novels, which are set in Bangladesh because 
as I told you before, I, yeah. I like to learn about the places I live and I especially like to learn through fiction. The author's name is Tamima Anam, and she's actually a British Bangladeshi writer. The novels are A Golden Age, The Good Muslim, and The Bones of Grace. So I just finished The Bones of Grace, the third one, a couple of days ago. I really enjoyed it. It was a really great kind of introduction to the country. Mm-hmm. So Bangladesh just recently celebrated 50 years of independence. And this trilogy starts with the War of Independence. And then, you know, the sort of period, like 10 to 15 years after independence. And then the final book really surprised me because it opened up in Boston, in Cambridge, actually, which I didn't expect. And I was like, oh, that's so strange, you know, because that's where I did my MFA. So it's the present day. I'm not sure exactly which year it is. I can't, but, but it's pretty recent. So it really gives you that timeline. And I just love learning about places through novels, because then not only do you learn about the events, the history, but you also have that chance to be the character, right? And Mm -hmm. to like actually experience those events and see the world through their eyes. I really enjoyed that trilogy. The timing was perfect. And how cool was it? It opens in Boston. I've said this to my kids, the older you get, the smaller the world gets. You know, it's because true. you start to see those connections. We're all yeah. more alike than we are dissimilar, I think. But I agree. You know. yeah. What is the most fun thing about writing? I just love when you're in the middle of a story or a novel and you can't get it out of your head. You're like writing while you're driving and while you're showering. You're like got those conversations mm-hmm. in your head and you're just thinking about it all the time. Like, I love that phase. I'm really wanting to get back to that phase, actually. It's very similar to reading a novel. Mm -hmm. It's like when you're reading like a really good, engaging novel, it's that same feeling where you just want to get back to it and you're thinking about it all the time, except when you're writing it, you're in there for so much longer than your average novel that you're reading. So I do really love that part. I like revision as well, but it's very different. It's a different part of your brain. And I do like it as well because I like moving things around. I like finding the right structure and all of that. But my soft spot is for the time when it's just forming then the story is just coming yeah. out it's like they've taken your training wheels off and you feel like I don't know yes. how old you were but like seven years old you could ride that bike to Spain you know just yeah forever. I love that yeah <laughs> yeah that's a great analogy what is your advice for new writers my advice for new writers is just to keep going you know don't give up keep writing keep reading as well I think reading is so so important like whenever I get stuck All you have to do is read a a really good writer's writing and, you know, it makes you want to write again. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think also keep connecting with other writers. That's something that I didn't do in the beginning. That was one of the reasons I went to do the MFA, because before then I was writing in complete isolation. And it's so important to connect with other writers. You never know how you're going to help each other. Like you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And just talking about and sharing your experiences and hearing what they're doing, it makes such a big difference. I think almost every, you know, step forward I've made somehow came out of a conversation with another writer. That's really important. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you. I enjoyed it too. To learn more, visit elizabethschick.com. 
If you're enjoying The Writing Table, please consider leaving us a review. There are so many podcasts out there. Reviews help other listeners find us. Thanks so much for your support.